Guys, if this is your first time, welcome to the Startup Tank Climate Investor Pitch Show, where we bring on the world's top founders and top climate investors to get a little bit of Shark Tank action going on. We focus on pre-seed through Series A, and we're really focused on getting exposure to these companies that are changing the world, not just on an impact perspective, but also on a massive returns perspective. Because if you're here, you're like most of us, we only have impact when we have economic impact as well. We need to have big returns. If this is your first time, I'm your host, Matt Ward, founder of the Startup Tank, and I run Forward VC, an early stage climate syndicate focused on pre-seed and seed stage climate and impact companies. We invest in Europe, North America, and Israel and do 100 to 500K checks. Today on the panel, I'm welcomed and incredibly excited to be welcoming uh, Pippa Ghali, Pippa is here with Zero Carbon Capital. Pippa, I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself in a second. And William Baubin with SOSV, he should be coming here shortly. I'm sure, as you all know, being founders and investors, sometimes meetings run overboard and there's a lot going on. Before we jump into the, sh- the startup tank, I wanted to give a shout out to our show sponsor, Leva. Leva allows you to set up simple, easy, fast digital SPVs, five minutes or less, no lawyers, no paperwork, no yearly maintenance fees and having to talk to lawyers, et cetera. It makes it super fast, simple, and easy. It's got all the benefits of a DAO without being the unregulated kind of nightmare that blockchain and DAOs um, exhibit. So forward.vc slash Leva, that's L-E-V-A for more details and to set up. I think you should get the first SPV free. If not, definitely the second. It's great for syndicators like us. It's great for funds, managers, or startups that are looking to put together a round without having so much on the on the fees side of things. Uh, speaking of, um, just a quick announcement, we're doing our largest deal to date, an Israeli battery tech company. Super excited to announce we're investing in Exion, a company that takes battery charging from eight hours to eight minutes, while also not using any pollutive or expensive um, materials like lithium and cobalt. To learn more about Forward VC and what we do, and our climate syndicate, please visit forward.vc. But now I want to hand things over to my other panelists of the night who are going to be helping me on judging these incredible six startups. So Pippa, I'm going to bring you in here at a spotlight. I'd love to hear more about you and Zero Carbon Capital. Do you want to tell people just a little bit? Hi, Matt. Thanks for inviting us on on the show. Um, Very excited. I've always dreamed of um, being, well, in the UK, we call it Dragon's Den, like the, the kind of alternative to to Shark Tank, um, and yeah, that's 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 basically my goal um, in becoming a VC is to become more like a dragon. Um, so so very very excited to be here. Uh, so zero carbon capital, we invest pre-seed to seed stage in companies in the UK, um, Europe, and Israel. Um, we invest between hundred k and a million in the as a first check-in, and we're focused on um, technologies that represent a scientific innovation that is going to help us to. Um, eliminate one of the the biggest unsolved problems of of climate change. So we're looking for visionary, ambitious founders, um, scientific innovation, and, um, you know, a great uh, business model to go with it. Because as you say, if you can't scale the company, then we're not going to have any impact. Um, This is our second fund. Our first fund was our zero carbon fund. And before that, I um, was an angel investor in the US. So been um, investing in deep decarbonization tech for about seven years altogether. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, people. 
And we'll have to see Pipa's calling in from a mobile setup. We may uh, just have you turn the video off if there's problems with the audio. But now, to before we kick things off with the startup tank, in case this is your first time showing up. So the startup tank, you've got five minutes on the clock. You're pitching to William's not here, so it looks like it's going to be these two sharks. But we can uh, we can take a bite out of the climate startups. To be honest, our goal here is to get great companies funded. And I think that's the goal of most climate investors is really putting more capital into the companies that are changing the world. We've got six companies today who are doing exactly that. You'll each have five minutes to pitch and at the end, followed by some Q&A. And at the end of the night, we'll choose a startup of the night, the company we find having the most potential, the biggest impact, the ones we would most want to invest in. The order is going to be randomized, which means I'm going to pick out of a hat. I'm wearing a hat, but unfortunately haven't put together the companies themselves. So now I just want to hand things over to the incredible companies that we've got lined up. So first things first, I like to reward people who get here early. So how about we hand things over? Um, Alan, do you want to kick things off and tell people what you're doing with Pika Diapers? I will pass the ball over to you and set you yeah, up sure. to present now. Sure, of course. Uh, you should yeah, be so able to one. share your screen. Yeah, let me one moment. Yeah, here I actually met Alan through another climate syndicate, Climate Avengers, ones that we work very closely with. They're doing some super interesting stuff about sustainable diapers. And as someone who's got a got a toddler, diapers is a big deal in terms of the, the amount you're changing, the amount you're throwing out. Alan's got an incredible solution for that. Alan, you want to take things away? Hop on the clock and share Pika? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, all right. Yeah. So hi everyone. My name is Alon. So, so, so I'm the founder of Pika. Uh, so I'm going to make uh, usable diapers much more easier to use. Uh, it all started with me, which when my daughter Raz had been born, and we and we basically started to use a diaper. And then it's you no know, so I, so as any so as any other parents, it is uh, it's very nice like to like to like to have this like first baby, but but you need to deal with a lot of diapers. And this is what I I started to like to do this to like to to do this like research uh, and find out that each baby using things enough. Thousand diapers that, that all go to our nurses. Uh, it it accounts it accounts between two point five to five percent of the, of the waste that goes to our nurses. It also costs it costs between sixty to one hundred fifty one one uh, one hundred fifty per month just to use all this disposable. And on the other end, you have usable diapers, closed diapers that uh, take between thirty to sixty minutes every day just to clean them. And they are not uh, in a, like uh, the result is not always clean. Um, and this is what we're trying to tackle to make usable much more easier. So it's uh, more with a with a circular economy concept. Um, so our solution basically this small machine that parents can put inside the soil diapers without any pre-cleaning, and then the diapers come out uh, uh, perfectly clean without without doing like to like to do like to do like to do anything. Uh, it can uh, fill up like to it can clean up to, to ten diapers. It is basically a combination of our our patent pending. Detergent tablet. Um, it, uh, so PICA is basically this clean, cost-effective, and convenient way of, use, of, of using a, a closed diaper. Uh, we have so so our, so like uh, currently the parents that can't use the PICA they are really like uh, uh, um, 
this, uh, this uh, enthusiastic about the uh, pika, they use they would, they like really like, uh, like, like so so enjoy the use of of pika. Uh, our current traction is that we have a fully working product with the paying customers in Israel, and our goal is to start selling in the US and the Europe. Like, so like soon, we have this uh, patent pending uh, tablet with. We, with the machine uh, cleaning process, we also we already secured 300k and have uh, uh, also did this like uh, a lot of uh, market validation. Uh, the total the total market it is a 60 billion dollar market. Our goal is to start with baby, with baby diapers and then go to baby to offer solutions for baby wipes, sanitary napkins, and like like for adult diapers. Um, our uh, the, the current trend, so I don't need to elaborate too much, like a millennial parents want a more, more sustainable product. And there is this movement to, towards this like zero waste if it's with the municipalities that want to use, that, that, don't, that, that, don't, that don't want to use all this plastic. And also there is like this like major funding within, like, in, this, like, like, in, the, in the diaper space. There is this, uh, the competitive landscape, it's basically the country there is like, like no other solution as PICA. It offers us the, the convenience plus the, that plus the, the sustainability angle uh, of uh, not using all this uh, all this waste, uh, uh, just like disposable uh, diapers. The business model is basically so our goal is to offer this machine, diapers, and tablets for a six monthly price of eighty dollars. Um, so eventually, the parents like it will it will come back to us. It it will bring back to us the machine, and then it, like it will, it will so it will pass on to the next parent. Um, uh, the go market, the go to market strategy is just to to launch in in the world. So in the next to 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 have this like big social media with influencer driven e-commerce, and then to do uh, partnerships with uh, anyone that interacts with parents, and then sell in in like retail stores, just like buy buy baby, Walmart, uh, so etc. Uh, our big vision is basically to to lead this uh, this like. So this like zero waste like evolution uh, to start with baby diapers to continue to continue to uh, to adult diapers in nursing homes and also to offer solutions for for like for, for, for like for the usable sanitary napkin and on top of that to build this uh, personalized health and nutrition like like for so, so insights so eventually parents can know about uh, different insights about nutrition like over the baby and the stomach conditions uh, that the baby like uh, that, that some babies have. Uh, our founder is basically me with uh, my co-founder Moti and Meital. Uh, like, so, like my experience is mainly like with hedge funds and like venture capital with uh, so so in Israel, so in so in Israel and also the US. Uh, my co-founder Moti so he is so he is this uh, genius engineer. Uh, we have this like amazing the advisory board that that has. And, and your time is up, Alan. Yeah, and that's it. That's Thank you. Sorry for being oh, Time is up. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Thank. Thanks for. Thanks for sharing. No, oh, no worries. It's a. Uh, it's one of those things. That's kind of part of the concept as well. Is we try to we try to keep them short, sweet, and on on point. But it is super challenging sharing everything that you're doing in uh, such a short time frame. I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring Pippa back now as well. And we've got uh, our investor panel to follow up with some questions for Alan. First, though, I want to hand things over to you, Pippa, if you have any questions. 
I would let you go first and take first crack. Um, Alan, can you share us more about what actually the product does? So it seems like it's some kind of washing machine and dryer in a unit and a tablet. Can you just talk me through, I've got a dirty diaper, what happens next? Yes, so like uh, some parents just need to put inside the, the, the soil data without any, without like doing, without like doing like, like to do like to do like anything. Uh, so like take a basically like like uh, dissolve the, the, the feces, and so so it's basically all like uh, it's all like it's all like, like washed out, and like uh, the diapers are also like being sanitized. Um, so yeah, so it's basically this like a combination of machine. Uh, of the of the cleaning process plus the tablet that each ingredient like knows exactly how to deal with with like with the food. um and uh, that's it basically like anything does it does it uh, uh, like answer like, like the, the question no I'm sorry I'm being a bit slow so it's like a little washing machine it's like it's a combination it's 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 it, let's say that it's, a, a customized like washing machine, okay? So that that have like 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 some elements that uh, can clean the diapers. So 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 as it is, like currently parents like so so like like, like need like, to take out the the feces, so so like put it in the in the in the toilet, and then have about like twenty to thirty diapers, like uh, in order to fill like the 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 regular the regular the regular the like, washing machine. Um, so, 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 so it takes a lot of a, a, a lot of time. So that's why, like, we just like fun to make this uh, like very of uh, parents that, that want to use the more sustainable diaper solution. Mm. Um. So, and you, there's a tablet as well. Yes, it's a it's a ta- patent pending uh, tablet that we developed. Uh, it's basically a combination of of enzymes with. Uh, a, a sanitation like pause, like uh, like so, so elements that uh, basically like like make sure that the diapers that like, come out uh, perfectly clean. Currently, parents that are using the diapers with 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 the washing machine, so it uh, comes out with like fungi or some other like stuff that uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, the baby's skin is like with like fungi, so it's like make a lot of mess. So uh, with stickers, there like parents that like, don't have this this issue. So so this is also so. This is also like uh, solving the, the problem with uh, cleaning uh, cloth diapers with with the washing machine. Okay, um, so you know, as a as somebody that's been through this process myself, I know it's very difficult to work out what the best choice is for 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 your children. Like, what what is the most environmentally friendly solution? Um, and I really um, I love that you're trying to make it easier for people to have to have cloth diapers. I think that's that's really valuable um but i think the the main problem is that you know this is this is quite expensive as a um the upfront cost i know that you're saying the total cost is the same but that's like you know when you try and explain to people that the electric vehicles are like you know the the, the first five year cost is the same nobody cares or, or frankly lower uh, nobody cares they just see the sticker prices higher so um you know i i, I suspect that it'll be very difficult to make this um you know, viable for mainstream. Um, right. First of all, you've got to find people to uh, that want to get involved with, you know, messy diapers and do something with them other than putting them in the bin. Um, and, you know, so assuming people are motivated to do that, that then, you know, it needs to be affordable for them. So, you know, that's, it's going to be um, quite a big expense for, for them upfront and go- ongoing. So I think that's, that's going to be a barrier to adoption. That would be one of my 
my concerns here. Okay. Have you explored have you explored licensing or having a monthly subscription model for this? Ah yes, yes, sorry. Like to offer this this like package of like with a subscription model, so eventually parents just need to just need to like to pay this eighty dollars. But as we go, it will go down to to forty dollars, like to forty dollars. So, so eventually it will be cheaper than any other with any other disposable data. Um, but it will be achieved like just like in so, so in the next year that we will uh, that we can scale with the factory that we're currently working with. Uh, but currently, like so, our goal is like to offer with eight, at eighty dollars. So, so it, it, it is it is exactly the same price uh, as the as the biodegradable disposable diapers, but like much more cheaper than the cloth diaper services that 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 cost about one fifty dollars or one one twenty. So this is like the the parents that want to use like sustainable sustainable solution, but don't have the time. So like they are using the cloth diaper services, uh, and we are like 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 like, like much more cheaper than. Uh, than they offer, uh, but as we go, uh, it will be like much more cheaper than any other disposable data with our uh, with higher like uh, with with the with, with the high margin that, that we currently have. It, it won't be fun to offer pick up for a much less uh, with, with a much uh, uh, less more convenient price. Okay, and have you had much feedback from uh, from potential users about the convenience angle? Because um, I know you know. I was always out and about a lot with my kids and then you know and a lot of working parents will be taking their kids to to a babysitter or daycare um who often don't want to deal with cloth diapers um and I don't want to like carry around a pooey diaper with me all day when I've you know been out and about so how yeah. does how is that angle kind of featuring into your to your service so we will have this like combination of like uh, with like, with, like baby care that we'll have pika so, so, so in the baby care, uh, so eventually you have this like, like uh, combination of like uh, using Pika so at home also uh, and also like like in the like in the like in like in like in the like in the baby care. Um, yeah, so it's eventually like parents like will have this like full solution. If it's and like 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 parents that go out like with the baby, so like they will have this like uh, a, a biodegradable that like. Like a bag, and then just put it inside the picker, and so it's like it won't be like much, uh, much more like, 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 like a much work like uh, compared to disposable. Uh, currently, parents that they use close data are like they're really into it, like they're really like putting so all this effort around, like, like almost like like one hour a day, like, like just like to clean them. So, uh, there are that, like, it, it, it's about like. Uh, it can go up like to fifty percent, like all the parents that use close data, like just like uh, just like but in France, like like like, like and some and, and also like like for instance like uh, some other countries. Um, yeah. Great. Um. Thank you. And I wonder, have you looked at the environmental impact compared to you know, some of the um central processing services like cloth diapers where they can pick up. You know, because I know you might have more transportation in there, but it might be much more efficient to process them in one place. Have you have you looked at that? Yeah, yeah like we did it. So, so, so like we did it. Like this LCA with MBA students from Johns Hopkins University that they measure the impact of of, of everything, like compared to biodegradable uh, with uh, biodegradable disposable data and also with the uh, closed data and our uh, impact with the uh, CO2, with electricity, 
With uh, waste, it is like much better than any other data solution. Like we did like, like, all this like, uh, like uh, research and yeah, look, if uh, every parent like will have this like small machine uh, for inside like, like the house, like without doing, without the, the effort of like cleaning them and it's only like using a little amount of a little amount of, uh, of like water, so that's it. It's it's like uh, why not we really make this like for a uh, like for like baby diapers for adult diapers for for reusable rental uh, beds. So that's like like parents like one like customers like one need to deal with all this uh, shit and uh, and also with all this like mess. So uh, yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And from my side, Alan, what do you see as the biggest challenge? Building and scaling this, and how big do you think it can go? Look, it's uh, it's hardware, right? So, so it is hard. Uh, but uh, eventually, if uh, if like we make like like usable diapers as easy as disposable, that the parents just need to put inside like the bin. So that's it. Like parents like won't have like the the, the excuse like like or, or, like 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 to to not using the like usable diapers. So eventually. So as we go like to to offer this with a cheaper price and also like with convenience and also with the system with the much more like this impact with the the eliminating like the like this waste and offering like the nutrition and also like the health like so insights for like parents like like we Parents who care about like like like, like their babies, like they like so it's a product that they would want to like, to use uh, eventually if they have like disposables and like pickup. Like once that we have this uh, so, so so all these insights, uh, parents want like to make sure that the baby skin is like uh, like okay or like the, like like like, like with, with with analyzing the feces. So it uh, has a lot of uh, uh, like good stuff that we can know. Like we can know like uh, different like allergies or like nutrition stuff. So yeah, it's, it's uh, mm-hmm. parents care about like little babies, you know. Like so, if we offer like like uh, some or, like some solution like to make them like like feel good, and yeah, it uh, will be like uh, like no brainer, I think. Absolutely, absolutely agree on that. One great question we had from Philip, and this is a question I wanted to ask as well: is that eighty cost that that eighty dollars per month that factors in the machine rental as well? Yes, it's uh, it's covers like like machine diapers, tablets for like for like for like for like for like for, like for each month. So eventually, yeah, of course, they need to pay to pay this like uh, uh, like amount, and then. If they like finish using the like using the like the, the diapers, so it will come back to us and like pass on to the next step. Awesome. Then thanks for thanks for sharing, Alan. If you don't have any other questions, Pippa, I would move on to our next presenter of the night. That's great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for sharing, Alan. Super interesting what you guys are doing, especially as a parent. I hate having going through so many diapers and the only thing i hate more than going through so many diapers is having to clean the shit um so let's move on to the next company of the night i want to hand things over to vince with electric fish and while i am handing things over to him i just wanted to tell you this is your first time and you haven't subscribed be sure to subscribe to the startup tank you can subscribe on youtube at the startup tank.com slash youtube we're also on Apple Podcasts, the startuptank.com slash Apple, or on Spotify, the startuptank.com slash Spotify video. All of the links should be in the 
description below, whether you're watching on LinkedIn Live or YouTube Live. And we've got upcoming sessions happening August 15th, August 29th, uh, September 12th, and September 26th. If you want to follow and keep along with everything that we do, we've got a newsletter as well, Clean and Green, which breaks down all things Startup Tank, Forward VC, and Climate Tech in general. And you can check that out as well in the show description. But now I want to hand things over to Vince, who's doing some pretty cool stuff with electric fence, with electric fish. Vince, you want to take <laughs> it away? Vince. I am, I am electric Vince as well. Can everyone hear me okay and see the screen? Yes, electric Vince, you are on the clock, ready to roll. <laughs> Great, thanks. We are in the midst of an unprecedented transformation where we're trying to electrify everything. It's important that we electrify everything so that we can ultimately decarbonize um, our society. Electrification has been shown to be one of the key pathways to do so. But unfortunately, it's not happening rapidly enough or ubiquitously enough. And a number of challenges exist. We're dealing with an aging grid in the US. More than half of the grid infrastructure is more than 30 years old. And as a result, utilities are preparing to spend a lot of money from a central planning standpoint to upgrade that infrastructure. But that can take um, five to 10 years or more to get done. In the meantime, site hosts of all stripes are eager to move um, and electrify their sites. But they're simply not able to because most of their sites are not compatible. Um, the high powered uh, energy requirements of uh, charging infrastructure, for instance, um, is simply not compatible with what sites have in their uh, existing electrical infrastructure. As a result, to create that, um, that equilibrium of power of supply and demand can take years and hundreds of thousands just to complete installation. And then when we think about what happens after you put in these systems, the utilization is highly unpredictable and increasingly we're seeing scrutiny from uh, site hosts and site owners around demand charges. These are the, <clears throat> the uh, surges in your electricity bill when uh, there's a lot of demand on the grid. And that's not going away because of point number one. So we see this as a really big opportunity to um, more ubiquitously electrify sites to provide uh, resilient EV charging that is not subject to the whims of the grid. But beyond that, we see this being a massive opportunity to think about how we design our grid infrastructure going forward altogether. Um, beyond transport, there's also buildings, industry, and uh, electrification is really going to either present significant opportunities or challenges if we're not careful. And so we've designed a comprehensive suite of solutions called a distributed resilience as a service. And it starts with the hardware. We have a patented uh, hardware solution that's plug and play. It consists of 350 kilowatt hours of battery storage combined with 350 kilowatts DC fast charging. And it allows us in this containerized form factor to deploy in a matter of weeks instead of years. Our key to success is that we are able to plug directly into the existing electrical infrastructure to a site so we're not needing utility intervention or pesky trenching. Uh, from there, we optimize each of these en energy assets with software. Effectively, what we're able to do is create a value stack of energy services for the site host. When we're not charging EVs, we're able to fully bank the systems by providing um, other services, whether to the grid or to the site host. And we have a patented um, a siting tool, which allows us to de-risk deployment by understanding where are the places that will have a lot of EV demand, but where the grid um, capacity is weak. And these systems together uh, form our solution set. And it helps us outperform competitors at very grid constrained sites. So we're able to uh, save hundreds of thousands in multiple years because we're not needing to trench or do upgrades. 
And we're lowering the cost of operation for the EVs and for the buildings. Um, and it also acts as a microgrid because of the battery storage integration. We're able to bi-directionally serve power back to the building if needed. And this forms our energy stack, which is flexibly served for two models where we can either work with retail franchisees, we own the asset payout of rev share, or we can pursue um, a sale uh, and SaaS model where the customer owns it and we, they pay us a license to manage their energy. To show how this has worked in the past, uh, we deployed a really successful pilot with LADWP. Effectively, we were able to install a system, a very high powered system in just two weeks instead of two years. We were able to leverage a very minimal grid connection of five kilowatts and delivers 261 kilowatts. We saw zero peak demand charges and load during the entire three months. And we were able to redeploy the system in just 30 minutes. From there, we've seen a lot of other traction from different utilities um, who are really critical to this um, electrification journey. And so we've won a grant and funding from uh, the utility in Detroit, as well as the state of Michigan, as well as the utility in the Midwest to pilot um, the system. We also have uh, contract negotiations with the tier one OEM for their dealership. And we've also been extended um, a debt facility of more than 20 million from a debt financier to help uh, facilitate quick deployment of these uh, assets. We're a diverse uh, team of award-winning domain experts um, from across the industry, and we're supported by um, about five FTE um, and uh, veteran advisors from the industry. We're currently uh, raising a $7 million round, which will complement uh, the lease facility that we um, have secured a term sheet for. We've got around 4.9 soft circle looking for a lead check of around 2 million. And that'll give us 24 month runway to help us achieve the next milestones of new product launches, UL certification. Your time is up. up. And we want to make a really big impact. Thank you. It looks like you got a, a lot of chance to make a really big impact. Let me bring uh, Pippa back now and we will go over what you guys are doing. Give me one second. Thanks for presenting. It's it's a super fascinating concept. I certainly have questions and I uh, I hope Pippa does as well. Pippa, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, and you should go first next time just so people don't get bored. Uh, no so, worries. Um, so I just, just wanted to make sure I'd understood the concept. It's basically a, a 350 kilowatt battery that charges up and then you can use that for rapid charging of EVs or you could like use it for, um, you, know, char you know, to balance... Um, for grid balancing, like DER type services, um, exactly. or use it as an energy source for for anything else, not not just EVs, but really like charging EVs is is the the sweet spot in terms of um, making it pay back. Is 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 that right? Yeah, it really depends on the types of sites. So for a gas station type of situation, we're owning the asset because we're banking on the high throughput and short dwell times of uh, those situations. But for an enterprise customer. Um, you know, they might not have significant EV charging throughput, which is where we're actually able to help in other senses to, to maximize utilization. So if it's, say, a fleet operator, they might not be operating their fleet um, the whole day. And so in those idle periods, we're actually able to help, um, you know, generate energy savings for the building itself. And so that's where that bi-directional connection, which is very unique to our solution, comes in. So um, that was maybe going into the next question I had, which was... Um... But, you know, there's, there's it's quite a busy space in terms of, um, you know, different kinds of solutions that are suitable for different kinds of applications. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're, I guess, um, firstly, kind of what do you think about that compet com competitive space? Who who do you see as being, um, you know, a threat to your solution? Um, and, you know, what are your kind of unique advantages there? Yeah, so there's, you know, the EV space is, is not a new one, but I think we're seeing a lot of new innovations and 
We're trying to push the envelope on business model innovation and deployment innovation. Uh, we're not a hardware OEM, so we're basically a systems integrator of different components. We have a patent design, and then we optimize that with software. And so the way we see the competition, you know, there's, there's your traditional networks, which are basically grid tied. There's a lot of friction when you're trying to install these systems. Then you have, you know, uh, batteries, standalone battery systems that then integrate with existing charging. Um, those, I think, you know, serve some of the same customers, but are really, I think, different in their uh, speed to market. The fact that you need to integrate with a different system, whereas everything in our system is fully containerized, you know, drop and go. And then you have other battery buffered solutions that operate at a lower capacity and kilowatt rating. And so where we're, where we're really differentiating is in the right sizing of the solution. We are not too big where it's too expensive and we're not too small where we can actually play a meaningful role for utilities and for grid balancing. We've heard from utilities and uh, customers of different segments that you know, they've really struggled with some of the, the really small capacity or large capacity solutions. And so we're kind of like the Goldilocks in the middle. And I, I, one thing I'll also say is with the software, you know, th the goals at scale, we have hundreds, thousands of units deployed, which are all connected as a virtual power plant. And so effectively what we're able to do is provide um, power for entire communities when the grid goes down. So, you know, we're really seeing ourselves as this utility of the future enabled by di digitization. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's really a powerful vision. So um, can you tell me more about the, the different customer segments? You just kind of alluded to it there. But um, you know, yeah. to what to what extent have you um, you know, been able to to demonstrate interest from from the different customers? Yeah, so we started our journey focused on gas stations. Uh, this was about two and a half years ago when we were founded, and uh, we saw this big pain point where basically gas stations and many markets are getting phased out, and they are eager to diversify their incomes. And so, without any products, uh, with not even a deck, we secured a wait list of 50 gas station sites um, very early on in just uh, 24 hours. But from there, you know, over the past nine months, we've seen an influx of inbound. I would say greater than 90% of our leads are inbound, um, which we're really fortunate for, uh, from fleet operators, uh, auto dealers, as well as property developers. And the one thing that all these segments have in common is that they want to move quickly. They're really tired of all the friction to, that it takes to interconnect and to deploy. And they're really concerned about resilience. You know, what does climate change pose in terms of risks for their operations of the fleet or for the building? Um, and so our solution is able to very comfortably meet those, uh, fulfill those needs, as well as be future-proofed. Because it's 350, 350 kilowatt charging, we are basically not designing just for today, but ultimately for the next, you know, generations of infrastructure, which are uh, now being rolled out. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, we've, we're in late stages with, a, with um, we had, I, I showcased some of the, the current traction, but we've got um, many more that are in the mid medium to late stages. Okay, that's great. Thank you. And like kind of philosophically, how do you think about um, that this kind of, the kind of balancing services as part of it, like that happening at the local level versus kind of at the, at the grid level? Um, what yeah. do you see in the kind of the benefits of the different approaches that you could take? Yeah, so we're, we're much too small now to do this directly ourselves. So we have the benefit of partnering with third-party aggregators um, that you know, basically will aggregate our capacity virtually with others and then bid that on our behalf. Um, so that's one way in which we're able to sort of do that today. We're also able to you know, generate a lot of value very locally with a grid feeder. So the actual grid 
connection that we're connected to is where we can actually help supply bi-directional power. But the idea is that, um, you know, at scale, uh, these are all sort of coordinated together at maybe a substation level um, to, you know, help utilities defer those very costly investments. As I mentioned, PG&E is expecting anywhere from five to $10 million per mile to future-proof against wildfires and all this new electrification that is happening. And so yeah. that's not going to be very popular with the, the ratepayers who are ultimately going to foot the bill. And so, you know, they're seeing that they can't do everything themselves. They're looking for decentralized sources of energy infrastructure that can help. And so that's where we see ourselves playing very nicely with these two traditionally siloed approaches of EV rollout and resiliency. We're telling, you know, that you need to actually think about them integrated. And that's where we're starting to get traction with utilities. Okay, very interesting. That lots of lots of different applications and and uh, kind of different value segments. It's um, it's just that it's it. This is a bit of a diff. It's a difficult world to sell things um in the kind of the, the grid hardware space. And um, you know, I'm sure that you've you've kind of come across that uh kind of reluctance um to invest in this uh purely just because the sales cycles can be quite long. There's lots of different potential solutions out there. And you know, how do you demonstrate that this is the right one? So. Yeah, um, best of luck with uh, kind of navigating that that maze. Speaking of, Next what's your, what's your conversion rate from uh, inbound into actual pilot or customer? Yeah, so I would say it remains to be seen. I mean, we have a pretty healthy pipeline. Um, I would say, you know, I, I flashed up the slide with a couple of pilots, whether it, they are paid pay pilots for software or hardware applications. Um, you know, we don't have the UL certification yet. That's a really big reason why we're raising this round to help us get to that next milestone. There's many customers we've spoken to who, once we have that, um, are eager to deploy. Um, in the meantime, we've been basically de-risking with, um, by demonstrating our trustworthy, you know, safety protocols, the engineering partners that we're, that we're collaborating with, like Black & Beach. Um, these are ways in which we've de-risked it uh, for customers today. Have you looked at a franchising model where even individuals or businesses can just say, I need another business line. This isn't going to be a red box. This is going to be a charger box, or this isn't going to be a pinball machine. This is going to be et cetera. Yeah. So uh, we, we've explored that. We've been exploring that for the gas station convenience store model because it's a really good fit. You're not there for very long. It's a short dwell time. We'd, we would actually introduce time cap charging sessions so that you know, within 10 minutes, you can get 180 miles. Uh, but for, you know, grocery stores, uh, restaurants, it's it's a little less clear to us um, whether, you know, high powered 350 kilowatt charging is, is critical. Um, you know, for those, you might be perfectly served with a lower form of L3 or, or level two, just given how long people are spending at those uh, locations. And, and then for the enterprise, you know, they own it. So it's kind of up to them how they want, what their utilization curves will look like. Mm -hmm. And for the end customer, is the vision more for this to be something that becomes a standalone product or charging station that stays in place? Or are these for time sensitive things, i.e., uh, I mean, there's not really a better example, but a porta potty system that gets moved around where and when it's needed? Yeah. So for most, it's going to be, I guess, semi permanent where it's basically there for the life of um, the term. And then if, if they wanted to maybe uh, if we wanted to swap in or out, then we could very easily do that. But for utilities, uh, we've ex we've had a number of conversations, especially in the East Coast, where they're battered by hurricanes. 
they see this as something that can charge their fleet for nine months and then during hurricane season act as storm hardening infrastructure that can be very easily deployed to grid constrained locations or places with no grid connectivity whatsoever. And so there is um, a lot of appeal to many for the movability aspect. We are not positioning this though as a mobile thing that you move like every day because the logistics um, and overhead would be, I think too much, but you know, occasional um, relocation and deploy, redeployment is something that uh, is within this uh, capabilities. And and country-wise or market-wise, where do you see the largest market potential for something like this? Yeah, so I would say we're um, we're getting inbound interest from pretty much every sector of Earth. But I think, you know, right now, there's a lot of really great momentum here in the United States, not just California anymore. I think as of this week, last week, you know, there's a lot of great policy movements um, in this sector. And so we see a long runway in, in the United States. Uh, but certainly, you know, any any market that suffer, suffers from grid instability and where they're also expecting an uptick in EVs uh, is great. And we've heard from folks that the UK, um, you know, could be a really applicable market um, for that reason, Spain and others. Um, and then obviously a lot of the emerging markets, it probably wouldn't be the four wheelers. It might be the two, three wheelers down the line. And that is something that, you know, we are uh, considering on our roadmap for, you know, a couple of years out. But Definitely, you know, this idea of electrification and resiliency, wherever they meet is where we'll be. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing. I know it's, it's always tough to come on and pitch your, pitch your product, but you did an incredible job doing it. I want to transition over as long. Pippa, do you have any last questions for Vince? No, that's great. Thank you. Good luck. Awesome. Exactly. Very, very much good luck. It's a, it's a huge problem and we need a, we need a big solution for it. I want to, I want to thank Vince. And as I pass things over to our next presenter of the night, I just wanted to let you know that the startup tank is presented to you guys by forward VC, our early stage climate syndicate. If you want to learn more and you're an accredited investor, please visit forward. So the number four ward.vc. We invest in companies that move the world forward. And now I want to hand things over to Trishul uh, with Dara Scientific. They're doing some pretty interesting stuff. I'm not going to steal his thunder. Trishul, you're on the you're on the pod. You are ready to roll. Your video is up. Let me know if you can share your screen or if you have any questions. Matt, uh, Jasmine's going to. Um... Oh, Jasmine's presenting. Okay, well then let's pass the ball. Jasmine, you are now up. Feel free to share your screen and let us know a little more with what you're doing on Dara Scientific. Absolutely. And I really hope you pull this one off because it's something that we have a lot of problem with, with uh, my wife and my son. And me and my dog. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's roll. You're on the clock. Let's do it. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Jasmine Singh. I am the CEO of Dar Scientific. I'm joined by my esteemed co-founder, Trishal, here, as well as our organic chemist, Barry. Um, and we are building a replacement for traditional insect repellents. So many years ago, I was uh, visiting South America and got back to New York, where I was a consultant on a startup that Trishal was running. Uh, actually ended up with Zika. Um, I was super feeling super unwell and Trisha and I spoke a little bit and we're like, well, how did this happen? And I know why it's because I won't spray myself in really harsh chemicals. I, I tend to avoid it. And 
that's how we started working on this uh, project. So we say insecticides as a blanket tool, you know, for topical insect repellents as well as large scale solutions. And here we're targeting traditional insect repellents that use primarily DEET and permethrin, which are synthetic chemicals as their main AI. Um, and there's a few problems with those chemicals. So one, they've been used for a number of years and so there's growing resistance to their efficacy. Two, the manufacturing and the decomposition of DEET creates greenhouse gas emissions that are harmful. Uh, ecologically speaking, there are a lot of downstream effects, so to say, you know, not only on avian and aquatic life, um, you know, but mass scale with, with deer, et cetera. Um, an example of this is, you know, mass spraying of DEET. When we say mass spraying, right, over large swaths of land, um, can kill off salamander eggs. Salamanders help keep mosquito populations in check, right? So it's like a vicious cycle. And finally, uh, the current natural solutions on the market, you might know citronella, you know, oil of lemon eucalyptus, they're simplistic molecules and they're simply not as effective as DEET. We have a new formulation with no prior commercial exposure. It's sustainable, it's plant-based, and across trials, it is as or more effective than DEET. We're not just focused on mosquitoes. We're right now targeting blood-sucking arthropods at large. Mosquitoes, head lice, ticks, bed bugs, fleas. They don't seem to have a lot in common on the surface, but they contribute to a lot of vector-borne diseases as well as other illnesses in people and pets. Uh, we see this as not just a problem in the US where we're focused, but um, globally, and we are working with labs in the UK, as well as exploring opportunities in the EU to see partnerships. Uh, as I mentioned, this is a, a plant-based formula with a novel use as an insecticide. So we're working with an IP firm uh, to shore up our first patent, uh, which would be a utility patent. We then plan to refine our formula down to the different uh, insect verticals, creating more patent opportunities. And uh, the unique molecular makeup of our uh, formula uh, and the way that we shelf stabilizes presents an opportunity for an additional uh, process patent. Uh, we're not a D2C company. We are focused on B2B2C, so licensing out our formula, licensing and supplying, um, knowing that acquisition is, uh, you know, a, a high, you know, possibility. So we've kind of segmented it out into consumers, pets, as well as these kind of industrial use cases. So in the industrial side of things, partnering with NGOs, governments like Brazil, India, um, as well as our own Department of Defense, who are really you know, plagued by different vector-borne issues. Uh, pets, you know, mosquitoes carry heartworm, ticks, Lyme disease, of course, and fleas. Uh, so knowing that there's opportunities within that market. And of course, consumers. So we all know traditional topical repellents and sprays, but there's also an opportunity in the lice market for shampoos, as well as the creation of portable repellent device devices. So possibly, you know, luggage tags to repel bed bugs, et cetera. Um, and these are all things that we've explored over the few years that we've been working on this. It's a large market, I won't get into it here. Current, to date, we have completed testing in an EPA compliant lab across bed bugs, two species of ticks, mosquitoes, and we are testing lice and fleas in the coming quarter. Um, again, our product is shown to be as or more effective 
than DEET across trials. Um, and that's even including down to dilutions of 25%. We are currently raising $3 million uh, for an 18 months runway. We already have a signed term sheet for a million dollars, which is pretty exciting. So we're raising up to two more million. Um, this use of funds goes to our R&D, kind of working with a university lab on mode of action studies, toxicity studies, as well as our EPA labs on- Time is up. I am sorry to have to cut you off, but Ask you got almost the, the entire, you got almost the entire way there. It's, inc it's incredibly interesting. My, my son gets bit by a mosquito and it's like someone hit him with a hammer. It's unreal. So it's, it's incredible what you're doing. Pipa said she wanted me to go first this time and I can do that. So my, my big or my first question for you would just be, what does the cost look like? So once you reach a production scale, how is something like this going to compare to DEET? And let's say you wanted to insert that into shampoos, et cetera. How much added cost is that going to be? Well, right now it's hard for us to completely estimate because we are using some of the funds to see just how little we can use you know, to be effective. Uh, our current estimates are about, to start, it would be about 50% more effect, more expensive than using a synthetic like DEET or permethrin. But what, would, what would that equate to? Let's say you wanted to put a little bit in my shampoo or a little bit in the laundry detergent. Laundry detergent would be brilliant because then it's going to protect yeah. you no matter what. Especially with uh, dog items and their dog bedding for fleas. Um, so if it was a dollar for a DEET product, it would be $1.50 for hours. That's our, those are our estimates. Understood. Yeah. Why are you doing this? Why is this a big deal? Why are you passionate about blood sucking insects? You know, it is, it is a bit random. My background is in uh, primarily neuroscience and then uh, software product development. But uh, like I mentioned, I have been plagued by mosquitoes my whole life. You know, yesterday I got 20 bites outside with my dog, uh, I'm like a specific target. And I did get Zika in 2016 and I was super unwell and, you know, Luckily, no long-term ramifications for me and not planning to have kids, but just makes you, you think a little bit and Trishel, you know, on a larger scale for blood sucking arthropods, Trishel's family is in hospitality, mine's in real estate. And we've, you know, seen firsthand how damaging bed bugs can be, for instance, right? You dig into the numbers a little bit, you see it disproportionately harms people in low-income housing. And it's, it's so embarrassing. And you know, he has children and I, I have a dog and uh, that's another area that we're focused on, right? Is that I don't like to spray harsh chemicals or give this like once a year pill to my dog to avoid fleas and ticks and stuff. So, you know, just the opportunity to create more natural, effective products. Uh, I don't know, it really spoke to us. And we started this in 2017. Do you go the human route or the, or the canine or the pet route first? Hard to say because we're getting a little bit of interest across uh, across realms, but I think we're probably starting off with human uh, topical first. And how soon do you think it's going to be before you are in market? You said B2B to C, so I imagine you're trying to find larger players like a Johnson & Johnson. How long do you have something like this on, on shelves or for sale? That's a, that's a good question. We know that there's larger uh, lead times with these B2B deals. Um, so I you know, as we file our patent, which we plan uh, at the end of the year, we would kind of start those discussions. And we've had some of those like with the Sumitomo or portfolio backers of Johnson Johnson, but I probably about two years. Okay. 
And do you have a licensing strategy? And then I'm going to hand things over to Pipa. We we have a pro forma that kind of thinks through what this, you know, the supply versus license only, you know, uh, revenue model would look like, but no, no contracts or, or anything written up just yet. But there are, there are, you know, other players in the space that we can learn from. Very cool. Very cool. Pippa, I want to hand things over to you. Hi, um, thanks. So I, so many questions. I'm also one of those people that gets bitten a lot. So, um, you know, this is definitely a subject close to my heart. Um, but because of that, I've done a ton of research about repellents before. And um, we use picaridin, which I thought was like had fairly low toxicity um, and is uh, as effective as DEET. So that was one of my questions is like, you know, it, are there really no good insect repellents at the moment? Or, you know, what do you think about picaridin? I wouldn't say that there's no good ones. Picaridin uh, has been used, though, for, you know, a number of years. Again, this has no commercial exposure on our side, right? So efficacy decreases over time the longer something's exposed. Um, and we do know that consumers, there's a growing trend, rational or not, I think it is, that they want more natural products, whether the synthetics that are used in their products are safe or not, right? So we all have safe laundry detergents that we've been using for years, and yet we've seen companies like Tide and Downey push out natural-based products that you know, use botanical ingredients that they know their consumers want. So I, we, we believe that there is a market. And, you know, most recently, SC Johnson put out a little line called STEM uh, that uses a lot of really known uh, botanical ingredients. And they said they've been working on it for years. And, you know, our team was like, none of these are novel molecules, but it's kind of like they repackage their off botanicals product knowing there is a huge market. People don't want to spray their, their children and themselves with synthetic chemicals. Yeah, no, completely understand. It's just, it is, it's difficult, isn't it? It's one of those things where um, over time, I think there will be more and more consumers who are kind of making that active choice. But, you know, especially if it's um, costing more, uh, you know, it, it's going to be difficult. Again, as we were talking about earlier with the diapers, um, it will be difficult for this to become mainstream. And without it becoming mainstream, it's difficult to have the, the, the big impact that you want. So, you know, uh, what, how, do you, how do you think about that in terms of the, the, the kind of the trade-off between cost and kind of consumer demand and convenience? And or, or are you saying this is more of a, like an industrial type thing anyway, that you'd be using this to spray areas and therefore, you know, the, the consumer preferences aren't so, aren't so relevant? No, consumer preferences are, are always relevant. Um, and there, there is data to show, especially, you know, over the last few years, millennials, and then of course, even more so Gen Z, they are willing to pay the premium for plant-based products. We see that in every space, like I mentioned, detergents, house, household products, natural wines, um, you know, even dye-free clothing and, and, you know, that stuff like that. They, there is this trend, right? And they are willing to pay 50, 60% more for some of these products. We do see, you know, with economies of scale, we know that our, you know, costs will go down over time. And that's something that we're really focused on uh, through this fundraise. Um, but yeah, we are focused on consumers, but we know that there are large scale opportunities. We have spoken to someone who was a medical entomologist at the Department of Defense for 50 years. He wrote us a, a recommendation letter for the National Science Foundation. And he he's like, this is a huge compliance issue. You know, a lot of our soldiers don't want to spray themselves with DEET and then they end up getting sick when they're abroad or, you know, it. we just see so many use cases and 
we don't have to be the entire solution to the problem, but we know that even being a part of the solution, even if just a part of a forest is sprayed with a DARA formula instead of DEET, we could we could have a significant impact on you know people and aquatic life as well as the carbon emissions. And um, tell me about the your your traction to date. So um, you're trying to raise. Did you say three million dollars? Yes, and we've raised one million. Um, so we're trying to fill out the rest of the round. Not it's actually not necessary, but in this economy, we'll take what we can get. Uh, so. We've spoken to a few multinational companies, uh, like I mentioned, Sumitomo. We've spoken to them a few times and uh, backers of SC Johnson were quite interested in us about a year ago. And we've held off on a lot of these conversations just knowing we don't have our patents secured. Um, and a big blocker to getting that patent has been this fundraise. So we're relieved to finally get some traction in that area and, and start to have more of these conversations. And, and have you fundraised in the past or, or um, benefited from grants or other capital? Oh, it's uh, been completely self-funded by Trishal and myself. Uh, so it's been an expensive journey, but yeah, this current fundraise actually allows us to focus on it full time. So it's uh, it's a relief to my uh, my sleep schedule. Yeah, no, that's great. Absolutely. And it just, you know, I think it might be difficult to raise that, that full amount. So it's good that you kind of have got a uh, going from kind of zero to, to three million um but it's good that you've got a kind of plan b in place where you can kind of hit some milestones with the million that you've got committed already oh, yeah. um i think that's i think that's really sensible to to do um so so tell me a little bit about your your go-to-market strategy like how are you planning to to build those relationships that you need yeah i think that's that is a part of our plan and, and knowing that we will utilize our own network as well as you know our investors network of people who are do have these relationships, you know, at different companies, um, as well as our our team, right? So our entomologist, he's pretty, he's kind of a big deal in the vector-borne disease space. Which sounds hilarious, but he is, and uh, he has a lot of these relationships uh, through his time at the EPA, where he was on a committee for this, uh, through all of his work studying these different natural products and unnatural products. Uh, so we plan to just use some of our network, start some conversations. We know that there's interest again, and we we've had a few of these conversations, but um, yeah, we've we've held off until probably the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And um, how about your your team? You said it's yourself and your your co-founder. Sorry, Matt, are we out of time? Um, I'm gonna. I want to hand things over. Last question here, and then I would yeah. hand things over right. to Fabiana. I didn't realize she was in Thailand, and it's like forever late over there. And I want to make sure she has a chance as well to present. Oh, just a quick question. Just a quick question about team. Then, so, so, um, you have a uh, yourself and your co-founder. Um, what areas do you think you need to kind of build out the team in in next? Sure. And then we have Barry, who's on the call, who's our organic chemist, who's a rock star. And then we have our entomologist, Rajiv. Um. So we're probably, you know, hiring out a junior chemist to kind of help with some of the formulation work. Uh, and, you know, we lean on our uh, labs quite a bit for guidance, especially with methodology and kind of thinking through things, especially the lab in the UK we're very excited about because um, they work with, you know, the, uh, you know, College of Natural, uh, what's it called? Of Personal Hygiene. College of Personal Hygiene. And that's, a, that's an area of interest for us. And we know they have so much experience. So we just kind of, you know, we, we operate lean. We've operated lean for, you know, five years and continue to do so. Great. Well, good luck. Thank you, Pippa. Thank you, Matt.
absolutely good luck get this down on the low cost get this so we can pop it in the in the baby shampoo and all of that good stuff i i'm lucky enough not to be one who's bit frequently i have other targets next to me who get all the bites but thank you for doing what you're doing go make it happen and if of course if anyone's listening and interested feel free to reach out founders are generally founder at url.com so if you need to send emails to any of the founders and set up meetings go for it i don't want to waste any more time though i want to hand things over to fabiana with co2 bioclean they're doing some pretty interesting stuff in terms of transforming carbon into something uh a little bit less sinister so to speak fabiana you are up and on the clock thanks for staying with us and staying up so late let's hear a little bit more about you co2 bioclean and what you guys are doing Sound good? Awesome, Matt. Thank you very much for the invitation. So I would like to give you an introduction to our company, CO2 BioClean. Uh, actually, our mission is to convert CO2 emissions into biopolymers. So what we do is we take CO2 emissions from industrial installation and we, fer we ferment them into biopolymers like polyhydroxylcanoids, which are biodegradable polyesters. And they're very well suited to produ produce different items, uh, for example, textile fibers and packaging that substitute petrochemical uh, polymers. This is a quite a um, revolutionary process because uh, it's a different way of making biopolymers and it's a different way of making items made of plastics. And um, very important that these biopolymers are compostable and biodegradable, which means they return to, to soil as organic carbon after their, their end of life. So um, actually with our technology, we address two main uh, um, issues. Uh, the climate change on one end, because we address uh, uh, CO2, basically um, we use CO2 um, that otherwise would be emitted in the, into the atmosphere. And we address also plastic pollution because uh, there is a huge amount of plastics that are uh, disposed and, uh, but not all properly disposed. So uh, about 8 million tons per pl plastics every year are not uh, appropriately disposed. So in the end, they end up landfill or they end up in the marine environment, which is a large amount if you think about uh, the environmental impact of, of, um, of the plastic themselves. So what we do is um, we have a technology that uh, converts the CO2 emissions that are captured into polyhydroxylcanoids. And out of uh, these uh, materials, we make the full formulation for several end uses. One of them is, is textiles, so fibers. Another one is packaging. And another one is interior design. For here are some examples. So for example, uh, the example of packaging. In which we have been collaborating with Procter and Gamble, and uh, in which uh, actually our biopolymers provide a sustainable uh, feedstock and a sustainable raw material for producing packaging of um, uh, with various characteristics uh, to be adapted to the specific end user. Then there are uh, there is an example of fibers. This is a project that's been um, uh, actually funded by the European Commission through the EC accelerator funding. So basically, in this case, the fibers have the advantage of uh, a release of microplastics with a very short lifetime. So no release of long-term like microplastics in the environment uh, through the washing cycles. 
and of course, the fact that the fibers are sourced sustainably. Another example is um, durable goods, for example, chairs that can uh, be made out of our materials, and we have demonstrated them with our partner Sabio Materials. And the uh, other interior design items as this basket that you can see that has excellent aesthetics, uh, not very common for biopolymers. So what we do is we combine the, from our know-how in, in patent fermentation technology with the, the know-how and the induced formulation and compounding. And this is really our uniqueness that we combine innovative building blocks with a, a formulation know-how and the proven compounding capabilities. We addressed a very large market because uh, the plastic industry is huge, is um, uh, over 350 million tons per year, approaching 370 uh, million. And uh, basically our polymers could potentially replace uh, about um, one third of uh, the entire plastic market. So the entire market is really huge. Of course, as a small company, we need to grow before capturing large size, but uh, just to say the potential of the market is there. Um, so what we want to do is um, licensing models. So licensing the technology to CO2 emitters and uh, also license the formulation and the compounding know-how to the user of the biopolymers themselves. In our team are the founders, so myself, um, I'm uh, taking the role of CEO, of CEO, so responsible of the strategy of the company, and Alessandro Carfagnini, who is a co-founder and CTO. Uh, we have an international team with um, competences both on the management side and also on the technical side. So why um, is it important for you investors to invest in us? Because uh, first Time of all, is uh, up. I'm sorry to cut you off, Fabian. I'm going to bring, bring in uh, Pippa and William as well. William's with SOSV. I'll give him a chance to introduce himself after, after this, uh, uh, after your pitch, since... I know you're a little time constrained, um, but th thank you for sharing what you're doing with CO2 BioClean. I'm going to hand things over first now to Pipa for questions, and then we'll put William on the clock after that and see if he's got any good questions based off of what he's seen. Hi, Fabiana. Thanks for your presentation. Um, looks like a really exciting technology. Um, I, can you tell us a little bit more about how it actually works? I, I appreciate you might not want to share everything, but what sort of mechanism are you using to convert the CO2 to the biopolymer? So that's actually a fermentation technology combined with uh, some chemical steps for the purification of the polymer. So it's a combination of biological and chemical technologies, basically. Right. And um, so sometimes with that, that kind of fermentation technology, that the efficiency or the kind of the rate of the the reaction can can be an issue so can you talk to us a little bit more about um you know how confident you are that you'll be able to you know pr produce uh rapidly enough to to use a significant amount of carbon dioxide and produce a, a meaningful amount of plastic uh, yes actually the work that we have been doing so far is and uh, the core of our patent is also on how to improve the efficiency of the fermentation so it's something that unfortunately i can't uh, disclosed because it's still confidential, it's still not public. And, um, but uh, this is uh, the core of our work to make the fermentation more efficient, efficient and to, to scale yeah. up uh, the technology. 
Great, and it's you. actually the, the work that we are doing with the EC Accelerator of the European Commission. Okay, great. Um, so I also also just interested. Um, we we've looked at a lot of this kind of technology that are doing something useful with carbon dioxide, and um, I you know I definitely think it will be kind of part of the world going forward. But we we've so far not um invested in any just because we're so worried about the kind of the moral hazard of enabling um, people who are producing carbon dioxide to to continue to do so, and in fact, to do it more profitably. So, um, I'm sure this is something you've thought about as well. So, can you put my put my mind at rest there as like how you're going to make sure that's um, not kind of unintended side effect of uh, of what you're doing? Uh, of course, I mean uh, the uh, carbon dioxide production can be reduced, but to a certain point. Uh, chemical process uh, will always uh, produce carbon dioxide. I mean, there is no way out. I mean, um, CO2 is a side product of many chemical reactions. Uh, and even uh, if uh, this was the only source of CO2, uh, this would be enough uh, to replace uh, the entire plastic uh, production uh, as it is today. And uh, to be frank, we can't uh, replace with one single product the entire plastic market. So it would be enough to saturated the entire accessible market potential that uh, that we can possibly access so just to say it would be still huge for us uh, just to access the co2 that it's uh, i mean a natural uh, side product of uh, several chemical processes uh, we don't see that this is going to be changed because uh, there are many materials that will be still be will be still produced and um, there is there is no alternative at the moment. I mean, the, the, chemically speaking, the, there will be still no alternative in the future. All right, thank you. I'll, I'll uh, hand over to William now. Hi. Yeah, sorry, I joined halfway through, I apologize. Um, do you have a, uh, can you just tell us how much uh, it would take to get to a um, a, you know, minimum viable scale, how much money, how much investment would it take to get to a minimum viable sort of scale um, implementation? Uh, so uh, how much capital would it take to set up, uh, set this up and get it ready? And so actually what we got at the moment, uh, we've got 6.6 uh, com million committed by the European Commission and European Investment Bank. And at the moment, uh, uh, we are uh, uh, raising another 4.4 um, million, and this is what, what we need. So basically, it's 11 million in total. Okay, 11 million to get the, the first uh, wave uh, set up, correct? Yes, I mean, uh, to get this and uh, actually beyond that, but it to be commercially active, that, that's what we, the entire, the entire um, amount that we need. Okay, thanks so much. Sure. So one question I have, Fabiana, it almost feels like there's two separate focuses here. And one is more on the carbon capture side, and one is on what you do with the, with the carbon side of things. How, how do you feel about focus with what you're doing? It seems like there's a lot of different possibilities of different materials you can make, different plastics. You also mentioned fabrics and textiles. How do you focus or choose where to put your energy? Actually, we have three main, we want to keep some differentiation because this is important also for uh, the perspective of a licensee business. We focus on three main areas that are the ones that I described, uh, 
textiles, packaging, and interior design. But of course, there are many, many more that we are not considering, completely not considering at the moment. For example, cosmetics uh, um, can be also um, uh, paints and coatings. So we are not considering uh, all these areas uh, at the moment. There are also many more articles that you can make out of plastic. So we are, are narrowing down our focus to three. And also with the packaging, we are quite specific on the type of packaging that we are developing. Um, but of course, it's much larger than that. To restrict more uh, further down, um, it's something that we don't want to do because then otherwise uh, the focus is too narrow. And uh, and uh, considering that there are large amounts of CO2, then the, the market is too narrow with respect to the need of the market for uh, actually converting the CO2 itself. Mm -hmm. What do you see outside of funding as the biggest risk for the company? Um, for the company, actually, the, the biggest risk is really to, to get the speed and to be, to be ready in a, before um, standard technology will be established for this huge conversion. So I think the, uh, the key is to get enough speed to be there at the right time. And in terms of timing, who do you view as your largest competitors in the space? Why, why will you be successful? Actually, if we look at, at our competitors, the, the real competitors are the competitors on, on, on the CO2. I mean, for the biopolymers, there is space for everyone because the biopolymer market is still small. So one more actually helps the market. The real competition is whether a solution for the CO2 conversion will be will establish itself as a state-of-the-art solution, and there will be no room for anybody else, at least in large CO2 CO2 emissions for so CO2 emissions from large plants. And of course, this is a risk. For example, the CO2 to methanol is, is increasingly important, although it, methanol is a completely different material than uh, chemical than uh, than our polymers. So, uh, but of, of course, uh, the, uh, this is a. I would say we are not competing with methanol because it would be would make no sense. But uh, if the solution, for example, CO2 to methanol becomes the most um, accepted solution by the industry. This is a drawback for us because uh, our solution would be an exotic solution and not be accepted by the large players, for example. Understood. That's uh, that's the last I have. Um, William or Pippa, any last questions for Fabiana and BioClean? Uh, yeah. Sorry, CO2 yeah. BioClean. Awesome. Then Fabiana, thanks for thanks for presenting the company. Thanks for doing a great job. Thanks for. Stay, staying up. I know I lived in Thailand for a while. I know it's incredibly late there. I'm sorry. I missed the I missed the memo on that. Now, before we hand things over to our next presenter of the night, I just wanted to let you know that the Startup Tank is brought to you by Leva. Leva is a really cool company I met here in Switzerland. They do digital SPVs, which means you can set up either you and your five or five million closest friends can set up an SPV to invest in startup companies or real estate, or whatever it is you like, as long as you're legally compliant, you can set that up in five minutes or less, fast, easy. It's the cheapest way to do it. It cuts out the lawyer, simplifies the paperwork, as long as you're not an American, which I'm American. But for those of you who aren't American, I would check out Leva. 
forward.vc slash Leva. Oh, and now it looks like we're being spammed by a, a love chat dating site on the, the YouTube. That's great. Anyways, of course, <laughs> just for the, the funny jokes aside, if you want to tune into future segments of the Startup Tank, we do this live every two weeks. You can subscribe at forward, so the number four, ward.vc slash clean and green. That's our LinkedIn newsletter and probably the best way to stay informed. Or you can follow us on YouTube, thestartuptank.com slash YouTube or all your major podcasting platforms. Just search the startuptank.com slash Apple slash Spotify video, et cetera, and you'll find us there. And now I quickly want to give William with Orbit Startups and SOSB a little chance to share more about him, a little bit of an intro. We had a disconnect on the timing, and then I will hand things over to We Do Solar and Carolina to share a little bit more about how they are doing solar in a big way. William, yeah, we'd sorry. love to hear more. No, I really apologize for uh, being late. We had a time zone mix up on our side as well. Uh, so um, my name is William Bean, I'm a, uh, the managing director of Orbit Startups and uh, a general partner at SOSV. Um, so we are a global VC early stage. Um, we are quite active. We're the number four most active VC in the world. Um, within uh, our, our approach is a bit different than most. We have three verticals. Uh, we invest in hardware uh, with our hacks program, uh, indie bio with our biotech program, and uh, internet and software uh, through Orbit. Um, we've been quite uh, active in climate. In fact, we're coming at it from all three sides. Uh, and uh, we're named by PitchBook and a couple others as the most active investor in climate tech in the world since 2018. Uh, actually, this year, uh, we're still quite active um, uh, in, the, in the climate tech space, uh, I think. Uh, uh, and so I, our, our approach is to invest, uh, help with our program, uh, scale up, uh, again, in hardware, biotech, and internet and software. And then uh, we have millions available in follow-on funding um, close to our initial investment. Uh, just like to invite you all to our SOSV Climate Tech Summit. Uh, October 25th, 26th, it's virtual, it's free. Uh, come and check it out. Uh, we just learned that uh, Neil Stevenson will be speaking um, his recent book uh, on, the, on a future uh, with a, a climate shock. Um, uh, uh, came out a few years ago, but it's really prescient. So thank you so much for having me. And again, apologize for being late. Absolutely. And give Stevenson the, the feedback. He's got to work on fixing those endings for the book. He's got great plots. <laughs> He's got great plots, but sometimes misses the ball on the endings. Uh, I'm gonna, the event, you can tell me yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, as a as a much less successful sci-fi writer, I'm not I don't have the that I'm not gonna be doing that. But I want to hand things over to Carolina now. And if you guys are watching live on YouTube, hit that subscribe button to make sure you never miss a thing. Same thing on same thing on LinkedIn. I'm going to pass the ball to Carolina and I'm going to be sharing her presentation for her because of some technical issues. Let's see if we can make that happen. Thank now. you, Matt. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Ab absolutely. Let me get your screen up. Are we seeing, are we seeing we do solar? Yes. Awesome. Then I will put you on the clock and just tell me next and I will 
hit the next slide. You are good to go. Sounds good. Okay, so um, my name is Carolina, and, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of We Do Solar. I know that Pippa has mentioned that uh, she's up for you know new new innovations, and uh, I think that new innovations do have place in in our society and definitely have to be developed. But we do need to use certain technologies that are already out there to actually make sure that we can a lower our CO2 emissions because inevitably you know climate change unfortunately is here and as we know you know in Europe right now we're also facing energy crisis where we need to fight also with the energy transition and uh, our switch to uh, renewables if we go to just next slide Thank you. So what we have developed is a smart solar site protection for your balcony where everyone, uh, no, no matter whether you own a household or you are maybe a renter of an apartment, can actually have access to solar solutions or renewable energy. Um, in that set, this is a very easy to use tool, uh, which can be installed by yourself and simply plugged into a normal power socket, which will generate uh, up to 25% of electricity uh, from your balcony. So if we go to next one, please. Now, I just want to explain a little bit how this set uh, works exactly. So we have uh, eight solar panels, which are uh, designed to, to fit a balcony um, in that sense. These eight solar panels are super lightweight. So each solar panel is only like one kilogram each and is around two uh, like millimeters thickness. And of course, they are connected to a special microinverter that actually transitions the solar energy to our grid energy. Our microinverter is also 4G enabled, uh, which makes it very easy for us to get data, data uh, live. Um, with that, we also have a companion app, which basically shows how much energy generation you have produced, how much CO2 you have saved, and all these different type of metrics. And everything works from a simple power plug, um, to which we also have a, a patent pending in that sense. Next, please. So just talking about our um, companion app, this is something that is very easy to use. And uh, of course, as soon as people, uh, you know, sign up uh, and as like they already got their product, uh, they basically see their virtual power plant right away. And this is not only uh, good for, let's say, a B2C uh, client base, but it also enables uh, quite a few other models um, that we have. So if we go to the next slide, please. So we have started in Germany um, this year. And so far we have launched basically a zero rental model for EV owners. At the moment in Germany, there is such a thing called as THG quota. These are basically certificates that are attached to your electrical vehicles. And everyone who exchanges their electrical vehicle certificate for our product basically gets our product free of charge. And half of our first clients actually um, coming from the EV owners space. Then the second model is, uh, of course, the direct sale. And direct sale is also for someone who has, let's say, the cash up front and, you know, doesn't mind actually paying the, uh, the let's say, a full fee uh, to having the solution right away. But the most interesting model is definitely software as a service or like solar as a service model where anyone can actually rent the solution and put it on their balcony. We have a B2C approach or a B2C brand that we're building, but actually there is a B2B2C component to it. And with that said, we have um, 
actually introduced employee benefit programs uh, for large companies, because large companies at the moment are trying to reduce CO2. And to reduce CO2 locally, it's quite hard for them. So usually they're buying certificates somewhere up in the Nordics. So right now they can actually introduce such an easy to use solution for their employees, where employees actually get the benefit of a lower electricity bill. And companies actually give this, keep the CO2 credits to themselves. 40 Same seconds. Yes. Thank you. Uh, next, please. This is a very huge uh, market. Uh, we are, let's say, after certain calculations, looking at around 1.1 billion uh, market that we would like to tackle. Uh, next slide, please. And if we look at different CO2 emissions, uh, you can clearly see you know, that solar is one of the cleanest uh, solutions to use. In the next five years, next slide, please. In the next five years, we considered uh, us to be at around 600 million in revenue, where 50% of that is actually profit. Our team consists of two co-founders, and next slide, please. Myself, which takes care of marketing and sales with a 10-year experience with high-tech companies, bringing them to multi-million dollar um, in sales. And my co-founder, which is a hardware um, background, uh, building uh, basically hardware solutions, uh, um, such as home appliances. Right now, we are raising a 2 million round with uh, 500,000 already committed from a co-investor. Our first product have gone out to the market and we have a list of another 2,000 customers waiting for our product to be um, deployed. Time is up. That was a great pitch. Thank you for sharing. Let me stop the screen sharing here and bring in our other Sharky panelists. We've got... William, we've got uh, Pippa. Let me hand the ball over to William first. William, do you have questions for We Do Solar? We'd love to hear your thoughts on the pitch. Yeah, sure. Can you just uh, walk through uh, kind of the cash flow cycle uh, yeah. and the unit economics? Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, how much capital do you need to drive? How much uh, in terms of sales? Uh, and what's the timing of that? Uh, and then um, what is your unit economics on the uh, so actually, rental model and also the, uh, you know, the, the pay up front model? Thanks. Yeah. So uh, we did some tests. Uh, the pay up front model uh, will be around 60% uh, of our revenue stream because actually quite a lot of people want to buy the solution um, right away. And then the 40% will be actually the rental model, which consists of different uh, modules, you know, with the company employee benefit program, the EV owners, um, and also, you know, just direct customers basically um, renting it for themselves. In terms of uh, understanding, you know, um, what uh, like what kind of customer acquisition cost we have been calculating with 60 euros from the very start, but actually with all the crisis happening, especially with the energy industry, um, our customer acquisition was extremely low, only at two euro fifty. Uh, so, you know, two euro fifty for a one point three uh, k product is uh, ridiculously low. We do consider that, uh, you know, over time it might go up, but it's not going to be more than 60 euros um, acquiring these customers. Um, a lot of people are aware, of course, about, you know, uh, being um, able to, let's say, lower their carbon footprint, but definitely a lot are trying to lower their electricity bills that have gone up three times in Europe right now. Did and uh, economics? 
yeah so um in terms of like how much it costs us to let's say buy it or to produce yeah, it, yeah sure so you have your customer acquisition and then you yeah. have your yeah. your cost yeah. and then uh, so timing of the, cash flow thanks yeah so we have um basically uh, we have basically partners on board that are doing the financing of the hardware so actually the round that we're raising is purely for operational needs and growing the team um our cost for the actual product and producing it is around 600 euros so you can say that it's you know more than 50 percent um, are actually a pure uh, profit in that sense and we consider it to go down you know the more units you know that we actually can produce uh, it should go down up to 400 euros per set anything else <laughs> You said right now. Oh, I go have ahead. more questions, but uh, can hand it over to Pippa. Nothing. Go ahead, maybe. Hi. Hi. Um. Thanks for your thanks for the presentation. Um. So, um. So just make sure I've got this right. You've got you've got eight solar panels. Yes. And together, they're uh, was it six hundred watts? Six hundred watts. Yeah, that is, that is for Germany, uh, only 600 watts. So every single country in Europe has different legislation laws. So for example, in Spain, our, uh, you know, set can actually be 800 watt and there are countries that go up to 1200 watt. Uh, so we can potentially, you know, provide bigger sets. Um, this is also, you know, a first product that we came out with. So we definitely see ourselves coming out with other products, for example, for, you know, completely cemented balconies, for glass balconies, um, you know, for garages and so on. Yeah. So um, I wonder, have you done work on like how many homes you think that this solution could be installed upon? Because um, here in the UK, not that many people have balconies. And um, I'm guessing you need to have, you know, balconies that are south facing and you're saying, you know, you need to have a socket to plug it in as well. So, you know, how many, how many homes do you think are, are in your kind of addressable market? So in Europe right now, 250 million um, are basically the market where our solution can be installed. Of course, you can say that, uh, you know, there are countries that uh, have way less sunny days uh, than others. Uh, if we go to the south, so of course, it will be more effective and they'll be potentially be getting all, let's say, 600 watt if this is what we're serving or more. Um, if we go a bit more to the north um, and especially UK, you will be probably producing around 50 to 55 percent of its uh, production uh, value but like I said, not every house not all of those houses will have balconies right uh, have you got data on that no, no this is 250 million of actual balconies where our solution would be fitted and these are balconies that are actually railed balconies in europe how many people live in europe a lot like, <laughs> like somebody help me out here it's like five, something like, like five like 500 million i was gonna say i mean and how many of those per house? I'm just saying that that's a really large number. That's I'm surprised by that number, given that a lot of the countries would be like the UK, where not everybody's got a balcony. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. it could also be fixed on, onto a fence, right? So there is different uh, ways to to actually fix the solution. You could have more than one balcony. You could have more than one balcony. You're right. Um, okay, I'm, I'm just saying. I think I think that that market sizing could do with a little bit of work. Um, you know, overall, I think it's a great idea. Obviously, if I have a south facing balcony, that I could stick this on. Um, it sounds good. Um, we we have solar on on our rooftop. I know not not everybody can do that, so I think this is a really great solution for people who are venting or don't have that the the roof yeah. um that that is pointing the right way. Uh, but we've got a system that is um 
many times larger than this and it only provides a fraction of our household usage now we have a big house and we have a two electric cars and you know a heat pump and so forth so my my question is how much of the average household's electricity do you think you can supply with this panel of course anything is a bonus right but um have you done some work on on looking at those figures yeah of course um, you haven't got got storage in, integrated yeah, so I mean, storage we can integrate potentially, but of course we're looking at solutions that are not going to be lithium-based. So we do understand, you know, within the next, you know, year or two, this is something that is going to change. So storage is not a problem to introduce. And in terms of um, how much it reduces uh, at the full capacity, it reduces twenty-five percent of your electricity bill. Um, if you're generating, obviously, you know, fifty to fifty-five percent, this will be half from the twenty-five percent. Okay. Okay. And um, in terms of that, you're talking about the cost to acquire users. Um, what is the, what is the plan there for uh, the, the go to market strategy? Mm -hmm. So at the moment, um, online social media ads have worked really well for us, and this is where we have a very low customer acquisition acquisition cost. Um, in terms of you know spreading it further, I think it's working with companies uh, on the B two B two C side, where we are spreading our solution to uh, employee benefit programs for larger corporations. Okay, great, great. Well, um, thank you. Really interesting solution, and um, yeah, best of luck. Thank you. Carolina, one question I had for you. You said to date, 50% of your customers are doing the free mm -hmm. model and just basically writing off the CO2 credits to you guys. But that's something that's only applicable in Germany, correct? At the moment, this is only applicable in Germany, and uh, we have basically started with this because it was a quite easy way to start um, in that sense in this country. And since we started here, this is what we uh, introduced. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Are your acquisition costs based off of that free model? Because then it's kind of idiot proof for them to say yes. No, no our uh, customer acquisition cost is split. Uh, so actually for EV owners, it's around 50 euros to acquire that customer. And have you done any tests to see what type of traction you get as you expand into other regions? So Germany and Dock region in general are very forward thinking when it comes to green uh, and renewables, but also very anti-nuclear and anti-other other power sources. Have you tried growing in other geographies and how do you plan on rolling out? Yeah, um, actually we've been um, a getting a lot of media um, attention. So uh, I don't know if there is a, an, a media outlet that haven't written about us or made a video about us, uh, uh, they, they probably will. But um, in that sense, um, actually a lot of countries have been reaching out to us uh, to potentially purchase our solution already from Germany. Uh, we did a test in Spain and uh, Iberia market will be our next market because this is going to definitely be one of the largest markets in Europe for us. Um, in the sense of how many sunny days they have, you know, and also the balconies, um, you know, and how much people are actually, uh, you know, aiming to have solar there. What's the biggest challenge that you see with growing the business? To be honest, we, at the moment, I mean, we're raising our seed round, right? So we have our financial partners on board, but we need operational cash to make sure that we can unlock also the financing for the product. So, you know, um, let's say the VC uh, money is completely separated from the financing of the product um, in that sense. Uh, for us, we... 
let's say like the, the whole production line and everything is set up in a way that we can actually grow quite fast because we don't need installation teams that will come to your house to install the product. This is a totally DIY product that you can install yourself. So everything is basically built for scaling. Yeah, um, it's only can be uh, maybe not enough people or being able to hire you know, enough people fast enough uh, you know, to scale it maybe even, even faster. Do you foresee adding rooftop modules in the future for what you're doing, when, if you have that? Mm, no, because I believe there is a lot of players already in the rooftop space, and uh, we're going to be focusing on the verticals, vertical solutions that can be installed by yourself um, in that sense. In theory, could you have almost like a chain ladder type system where instead of just having it on the patio or let's say i'm on the 10th story and all of my neighbors are cool with me having it go down 10 stories mm -hmm. i mean you could get some serious coverage there with a lot less and to make things easier have you guys explored something like that uh, what do you mean exactly i don't think i understand so i step outside of my patio yeah. and i hang it over the top but instead of yeah. it being one set of panels yeah it's 10 sets of panels and goes down a couple stories okay mm -hmm. Have you have you explored any type of larger rollouts or ways that customers uh, can then offer to to their neighbors, et cetera? Yeah, this could be potentially an opportunity. However, this is something that is not really allowed by the local municipalities. Um, in that sense, that's why this is a balcony site protection, which is actually allowed by local legislations and not something that you just hang on on a building because this is where you would you know run into um, difficulties. Understood. And what's, why are you doing this? To be honest, because I believe that, uh, you know, we have probably around three years to actually try to revert climate change. Uh, this was the very first thing. And, you know, I'm naturally Ukrainian. So I was Ukrainian born, to be honest with the breakout of the war. This is a huge um, aim for me to make sure that everyone can have access to renewable energy and that we actually lower the, uh, our, you know, dependency on the Russian gas. Very cool. Very cool. Good answer. Great presentation. Thank you for sharing. William, Pippa, any last questions for Carolina? Yeah, just one. I mean, um, so within Germany, when you plug the uh, the power socket back into the socket, you can actually feed uh, electricity into your home grid uh, without making changes. Is that uh, how that Germany works? Because it's not actually how the U.S. works. So. That is correct. Um, it depends how much uh, actually energy you're fitting in. And since we have like a relatively small power plant, you know, it doesn't actually get your, let's say, meter to go backwards. Right. So this is this is where um, things would, would, let's say, be set up in a different way. And I think that's what you mean probably for US. Um, in terms of US, you know, we haven't uh, done any research on, on, on that field yet, but we definitely have gotten requests from there. Um, so the way it works, we're basically feeding energy in, basically lowering uh, the grid consumption that we have within our households. And it doesn't go, you know, let's say beyond 50 or 60%. That's where the meter would potentially have to be running backwards. Okay, got it. And installation is done by the consumer or is that part of the cost? 
Yeah, that's done by the consumer. So it's a totally DIY product. Uh, it's very easy to handle. It's very lightweight. Um, you attach it to your balcony with uh, special like Velcro tapes uh, that you can also take off and, you know, let's say bring it to a different balcony if you want to um, and simply plug it into a power socket. Thanks. Could be good for RVs as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for presenting, Carolina. I want to hand things over now to our last company of the night, Climatize and Will. Will Wiseman, are you ready to take over? Let me set it up so you are spotlighted. I'll get myself out of here so I don't steal your thunder. And you are good to go. Let me know when you're ready and we will start the clock revolutionizing okay. finance when it comes to climate and things that matter. Ready to roll? Let's do it. Okay, thank you all for having me. My name is Will Wiseman, CEO of Climatize. And to start, I'd like to share the story of Climatize. So in 2019, my co-founder and I joined the global climate strikes in Barcelona, and we saw 100,000 people protesting for climate action, but were stuck by, struck by the sad reality that everyone was gonna go home, and the next day, nothing was gonna be different. So as we dug in, we uncovered three problems. Unaccredited investors don't have access to the clean energy asset class. People don't have time to take climate action. And there's a breakdown in trust with respect to traditional finance services. So we're seeing strong market signals in this space. Our target demographic is growing into their financial capacity. They want sustainable alternatives. And this is the topic that they care about. So for millennials and Gen Z who feel climate anxiety, Climatize provides an easy and automatic way to, to invest in profitable climate projects. We enable the climate movement to organize financially and socially. You can actively invest or simply set the roundup to automatically invest the spare change from your everyday purchases. And you can see who of your friends and community is fighting climate change with you. Finally, by using Climatize, you get uh, discounts at our network of sustainable brand partners. So here's a few reasons why our customers love us. First, Climatize is accessible to every financial capacity. Next, we take all the thinking out of climate investing through weekly and monthly investments or even micro investments. And finally, your money goes directly into funding the projects, so there's no greenwashing. Some companies have tried crowdfunding for clean energy before, but key changes make the timing right now. The first reason is a rapid increase in public awareness on climate change in comparison to when companies like Mosaic and Wonder Capital launched. In March 2021, the SEC increased the ceiling for Reg CF from a million dollars up to $5 million. And this unifies regulatory conditions from the EU, where this is a very mature business model, where now we can be a first mover in the US. So we've identified over 9 million ideal customer personas whose spare change in a year would be over $2 billion. From this, we can capture over $200 million of revenue. After that, we'll target Europe, India, Africa, then Latin America. Through our good climate news channel, we've seen a 400% increase in views per video and a surge to our wait list, over 80% growth in the last quarter. That's been purely organic, zero paid marketing, only using a video editor. Yesterday, we signed our 11th letter of tent. Uh, we have a, a partnership with the US Department of Energy. Our wait list is growing 21% month over month. We're onboarding customers to our beta at over 50% week over week. We've crowdfunded a solar array in Kenya and are funding 12 projects for low-income families in Hollister. We have 16 partner brands and we've won three global awards in the process. 
So uh, we're taking this, uh, really looking at local networks to then be able to scale to a global movement, engaging the Sunrise Movement. Each one of those hubs can be anywhere from 500 to 10,000 individuals. So from that, using a B2B approach to B2C acquisition. How do we compare to our competition yachts? Well, first, we're delivering the product through their channel of choice. Uh, additionally, we have this roundup feature, which at face value is just a painless way to invest. Really, it enables us to forecast our investment volume and revenue. Additionally, we get that transaction data so we can strategically choose our brand partners. Then additionally, we have the social and gamification components uh, that really show you where are the people who care. And finally, we've uh, created a secondary liquidity strategy that we'll be rolling out over the next 18 months. We have two network effects in parallel. One is that as we gain more capital, we get more visibility, more projects, and thus more relevant to you and your community. And additionally, there's a financial transaction data, which gives us better rewards. Finally, how we monetize. On the project side, we take a success fee and a loan servicing fee. On the B2C side, we have a freemium model and our loyalty program. The co-founding team consists of myself and Alba Forms. We both hold double master's degrees in renewable energy engineering from the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden. I have eight years of clean energy experience. Alba was a key player in creating Barcelona's low emission zone. We were just recently chosen as young global changers by the World Policy Forum, and our team has worked at some of the top, top tech and financial firms in the world. So we're currently fundraising. We currently have uh, 40,000 left of an allocation in our angel round. Um, that's a $5 million valuation, and we're ratcheting that up thanks to our selection in Techstars Boulder. Uh, this is our chance to own our future, and here are the people demanding action. Let's give them the tools to fight for a sustainable future. This raise will get us to our FINRA approval to 10,000 customers, and who, in turn, will invest a million dollars to your final thoughts. Finally, I want you to think about this. At the moment, there is no network product for clients. It's a theme that touches every vertical with opportunities in every sector. Empowering the public to invest in the energy transition is an untouched niche that isn't a niche. Thank you, and let's make every transaction an investment in climate action. Someone's got a practice pitch. The time is just up now. Great job, Will. Thanks for sharing what you guys are doing. It's it's fascinating. I see a, a ton of massive potential. I want to bring in our fellow panelists. Uh, one one quick question, just while I'm bringing them in, you had a you had a bunch of impressive names for investors. Mm -hmm. If if you're only raising 500, why do you have so many investors and still space? Why did people put small checks? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we range from uh, we raised from the Central Coast Angels and Angel Syndicate here in Santa Cruz. Uh, from that, they started out with just early checks. We were still pre-FINRA, pre-product at the time, and that gave us then the finance to be able to not only launch our beta, which we have done, we are now submit ready on our FINRA application. So just risk profile early on. We also started raising right as the economy took off the cliff. So uh, we've been fighting an uphill battle, but in that sense, still making good traction. And then we plan to actually raise more like 1.5 to 2 million coming out of Techstars. Uh, we're just closing off this 500K. This will get us through program and essentially just give us the funds that we want to really build the product that we believe in and have a vision for. Awesome. Thank you for that. Now, um, Pip or William, I'll hand it over to you before I throw in a few more questions. Um, Hi, Will. Thank you. Um, obviously, great, very polished pick. Um, so, what what I think I'm getting is that you're um, you're saying this is unique because you're offering the opportunity to retail investors to uh, invest in sustainability projects um, in a way that it will want to. So, putting in little bits at a time, and that you've got the liquidity to get that back. So that's how it's different from something like Wonder or um, you know some of those other competitors you're talking about. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So Brian Bursick, the former founder of Wonder Capital, is actually my, my CEO mentor. Uh, he really loves what we're doing because, you know, he was very passionate about actually engaging this space. But back in 2014, the public demand was a challenge yeah. and the liquidity was yeah. a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but they've done, you know, they've done a great job and other people like Mosaic, you know, like laying that foundation. Um, so how about something like Atmos where, you know, it's a current account, but they're basically taking the money in your bank account to do this good work behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think to your point, the, the big thing is the behind the scenes. So people are, you know, they're even with an Atmos, they want to see what their money is doing. And there's been that breakdown of trust with these financial services. So in comparison to having your money in a mutual fund or an ETF, where at best you get a stock ticker. With each one of these, we have the photos of the 12 families whose homes we're putting these solar arrays on. And there's that real emotional connection with these projects. We're focusing on projects that have high social impact as well. So for example, one of our letters of intent is with Block Power. They do energy efficiency upgrades for low to middle income communities. Those are really compelling stories. And with that, we're kind of building that with our good climate news channel, where we've been sharing the successes of not only innovative companies in the space, but the projects that we're funding as well as our products. So with that, you can see the storytelling being a little bit like Kiva. And that's, it's a platform I've been lending through for over 12 years. And that kind of emotional response that you get when you actually know the project that you're funding and the impact that it's creating is a very va different value proposition than your money just sitting in the savings account. So I, I hear you and, I, and it's lovely and I think people will be that engaged. Some people will be that engaged, at least initially. I think, you know, I, I used to use Kiva as well. And frankly, mm -hmm. after a while, you're like, this is great. And then you forget to relend the money or, you know, so I think that that sort of wish to be that so engaged, um, I think that that tails off with time, that, that kind of enthusiasm. Um, I guess that's the point of your kind of auto, you know, roundup feature. Um, but, you know, I think that for me is the attraction of something like, Atmos where it's just a current account and everybody needs a current account and I'm not having to like then think oh I want to do this great thing as well um, and I've got to make a separate account with Climatize to do this thing that's a bit like savings you know so mm -hmm. you know, I think that's going to reduce the number of people that understand and are interested in your product so you know interested mm -hmm. to know um, what sort of responses you've had from people when you've done your your customer discovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's also a great question and, and a good point to kind of zero in on here is that it's actually not Atmos or Climatize. You can do both. We are bank and card agnostic. So, you know, if you want to be earning money on this micro investment model, you can be doing that while the core of your savings is still sitting in a green bank. So I wouldn't say that it's one or the other. And then additionally, I think because that sell to move to Atmos, or one of these larger green neobanks, that's a very high friction customer acquisition. To actually have the trust in which you move all of your money from bank to bank requires a lot of customer education as well as relationship building. And so from that, that's why we see their customer acquisition costs being an order of magnitude or more higher than actually ordinary bank. Okay. Are so, you worried about the early uh, adopter effect of getting the easy the easy ones in exactly. and your yeah. so yeah, like like HelloFresh and all of those companies, uh, the delivery yeah, companies. There's, there's a few in the UK who've tried to do this kind of thing where basically they're, they're trying to get people to sign up to do sort of uh, some kind of, you know, savings or fund investment um, that is doing good stuff. Uh, and of course, it, and it's great, it's great, it's a good structure, but that there's kind of two risks. Firstly, that um, you need a reasonably, reasonably sophisticated consumer to even have 
like to, to, to get engaged and to have savings and to want to make an investment. Um, and then, you know, if it's any, if your idea is any good, then there's a lot of other companies who could just build this as a vertical on what they've already got like tomorrow. And I know you're going to tell me that there's trust issues with, um, with some of those providers. And I, I hear you and I think you're right, but there's also trust issues giving my money to, to a startup. Right. So, so I think there's a lot, there's quite a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you all, you both have great points here. So um, with respect to our go-to-market strategy, our zero to one is primarily women already working in clean tech. They have existing investments, generally 30 plus and earning slightly over 100,000 per year. That's kind of zero to one. One to 10 is the sunrise movement, like I mentioned. So that is over 100,000 individuals who are highly, highly engaged on climate here in the US. As an activist group, they're also very organized. Uh, I spent a year in Europe uh, organizing with Fridays for Future and, and working actually closely with Greta Thunberg in Stockholm while I was studying there. And, you know, I recognize that that activist movement is uh, just very different in the way they organize. The U.S. one is much more about policy and finance, which is why it's a good fit for what we're actually selling. With that, we look to actually draft onto that existing community and become then their tool of choice. As we prove out that B2C traction, we can actually go then in 10 to 100 by taking a slightly more B2B2C approach by engaging more like the credit card companies or existing financial institutions and being more like their white label bolt on climate uh, solution. So for example, two days ago, I was pitching to Amex Ventures. Uh, previously then in November of last year, we were finalists in the Climate FinTech Challenge. Through that, we made connections with MasterCard and Barclays, both of which signaled interest in you know, having this kind of be their sustainability project, but we needed to prove out that B2C traction first before it would then have sufficient volume to kind of be meaningful for them to pilot. That's also where the kind of sustainable brand concept comes in is that that's a secondary product for us. We are kind of building that out over time as we build up our financial transaction data. We can take a very targeted approach to the brands that are especially relevant to our customers. And then from that, you could think of that almost like airline miles for climate. Wait, I need yeah, to double, I need, go I ahead. So I think I think there were real there are going to be real challenges ahead to spreading um to, to getting customers on board and um growing and scaling this this idea. I think it's you know, I think the idea's got a lot of potential, but um I think you know I think you're you're you need to um really think critically about why this is gonna succeed when there's there are quite a lot of other companies in the space that have tried and haven't really got traction yet yet. Um also, you know, I'd I'd argue that. Uh, a lot of people who are going on, you know, marches and whatever, are, are they the people who are have the capital to invest as well? So, you know, maybe, maybe they are. Um, but, you know, this this will be, you know, this needs to have mass market appeal again for it to have legs. So, yeah, but really hope to to see you succeed. I think there's a, a really strong idea in there. I need to double click on the, the Greta Thunberg part. So if you were working closely with her and other players in the space, why not try to bring them in as advisors? And even if they're say, oh, no, I can't do that because there's financial complications, et cetera, then have their advisor shares go towards some type of trust focused on climate. You get the, the people who essentially command hordes of climate activists, and that's enough where you get all of the traction that you need, even if they are having small account sizes, you would kind of roll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, for two reasons. One, they don't endorse anybody uh, just across the board. It allows them by saying no to everybody, they don't have to then justify why they say yes to one person or others. Uh, then additionally, they're in Europe uh, while we're headquartered in the US. So within the regulation crowdfunding framework, 
run by the SEC. Uh, we can only really run US headquartered companies as well as US investors. In time, we can run Reg S raises, which allow us to bring in international investors so we can kind of expand our investor base. And then additionally, we do look to expand to Europe once uh, a piece of legislation called the regulate, uh, pardon me, it's the uh, regulated crowdfunding service provider. Uh, and it essentially lowers the barriers uh, between any of the countries in the EU to then be able to have a cross-block platform. Whereas at the moment, if you are headquartered in Germany, you can only fund projects in Germany. In two years, that, that legislation has been passed, but there's a two-year implementation window on that for all the regulators to actually implement it. Once that is lowered or that barrier is lowered, we plan to look into an international expansion strategy. So are you, are you putting together an entire payment platform like uh, Acorns where you give out people like a physical and digital debit card and you're actually taking the spare change? Uh, and if so, what's the cost to spin up a new customer, not just in terms of acquisition, but uh, also to um, onboard, get the person spending and, and send out that card? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do not have to uh, spin up our own card. We are bank and card agnostic. We use a cloud integration that allows us to be broad in our reach there. Uh, we see that roughly $5.50 customer acquisition costs, and then we have uh, roughly $1.70 on our uh, Plaid account linkage, as well as KYC and AML checks on top of that. So we see roughly a four-month payout uh, if someone is on the, or pardon me, a six-month repayment period on a new customer uh, when it comes to the free tier. And then if it's premium tier, which was the dollar per month model, uh, then that's more like four months. Okay, and so the people are, are not really doing spare change on the existing payments. They're just, you're basically saying, I wanna put a dollar or $3 or $5 a month into this. Is that correct? Not quite. So the spare change model, we're tracking those incoming transactions. We're digitally accounting them uh, until okay. they add up to $5. Once it's uh, added up to $5, we push those funds into the escrow account. Uh, it allows us to standardize our accounting on the back end and create a standardized financial product as well. So you could think of it kind of like stacking green bonds. Got it. Got it. Okay. And how do you make money? Uh, we take 5% of funds raised. I'm happy to show the screen here again. So it's not based on, uh, so it's on a crowdfunding model as opposed to a performance-based model. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, because we're doing project finance here, we're not looking to do uh, clean energy startups. Uh, with that, it allows us to just mitigate the risk on any of the funding that we provide. And additionally, getting equity in a solar project doesn't really have an enormous amount of upside. So for us, we see the project finance model as, or pardon me, the project finance vertical is an area that will need to grow by $700 billion per year, according to John Doerr, uh, in the next coming years. So that's a space that as we look to accelerate, especially solar energy efficiency and battery storage, uh, these are areas in which that CapEx will become valuable. And to be able to bring in the public as an investor, that that pool of untapped retail capital is somewhere that we've seen enormous amount of potential that no one has dug into successfully. What prevents someone like an Acorn or uh, Robinhood or Revolut from just adding this as a feature? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for one is the regulatory requirements. You have to go through a new set of approvals and whatnot. Uh, additionally, there's knowledge capital uh, project finance. Clean energy project finance is very different from what you might be looking at in the public equities market. So you would need to then build up the human capital, knowledge capital, and relationships to be able to get these allocations in a deal. So uh, this is not as simple as it seems. You know, that's kind of the beauty of it is to put your spare change towards clean energy projects seems like a very simple project. And yet the actual back end and execution of it is not. Why are you going about building this as a a business and a platform as opposed to an integration that can be plugged into existing finance or fintech companies stacks mm -hmm. yeah so as it stands at the moment uh we have the potential to be a standalone platform and because of the global scale that we're looking at we need to have those regulatory approvals we can't really be a bolt-on to say a chrome extension or a shopify because of the regulatory side that we need as well as then managing your wallet and payouts is something that you know requires a significant amount of platform building over time, to your point, we may be able to bolt on to, you know, for example, like I said, an Amex card, a Visa, et cetera, and become a sustainable loyalty rewards program. Although early on, I think it's to our advantage to be a standalone platform. What's your next three product features in terms of increasing lifetime value of your customers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the next three features are really around, uh, at the moment, we have the micro investment model. We're adding in weekly and monthly investments. Uh, that really caters to just a, a different financial capacity. The micro investments is really appealing, particularly to Gen Z. As we then work up in people's financial capacity, weekly, monthly is appealing. Then it's the social features um, to be able to then actually see who of your friends and community are investing alongside you. Throughout customer interviews, a reoccurring pain is where are all the people who care? And from that, who of my friends care? So we really want to be able to create that kind of personal experience to see like, hey, here's Matt, you know, I have him in my contacts and I see that he's actually funding this project with me. Then beyond that, it's to be able to see the impact of each one of your investments based on the, the projects that you're funding. So the carbon avoided by that project and kind of what does that represent in terms of user-friendly metrics, houses, power, plane, plane flights avoided, et cetera. I think there's a major possibility here in your freemium model for advertising for brands that want to get in front of sustainable oriented customers so that you can mm -hmm. offset costs or even have additional revenue models. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's why we've seen such strong traction with those sustainable brand partners. So with those, we signed those 16 deals in less than 90 days. Um, so not only are they willing to pay us for any transaction volume that we move their way, but through that, they are an additional incentive to our users. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. You could do a lot with raffles as well in terms of getting people onboarded, having brands give away things, getting free cards, et cetera. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much more of everyone's time because we are kind of getting to the, the closing, uh, kind of in Europe, people are getting hungry. Let's just leave it at that. So, um, Will, I want to say thanks for, thanks for presenting incredible pitch, super interesting company. Love what you're doing and anything that helps deploy more capital in the space is incredibly meaningful. I'm going to turn things over now to our investor panelists. And now is the last portion of the night. And this is the startup of the night where we have feedback thoughts on our, the, our favorite companies. Which companies are you most interested in? Who would you want to set up a meeting with? Where do you see the biggest potential? I will hand the ball over to either of you two. Who wants to go first? 
Yeah, so I'll go first just because uh, I missed most of the session, so I really apologize for that. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, I only really saw We Do Solar and, and Climatize. Um, for us, um, we're uh, early stage VC, we write small checks, uh, and uh, the the most people work for us with the with us for the program, not the money. Um, and so it really comes down to can we help? Um, the two things that we really help with are customer acquisition and corporate partnerships. Um, so we'd probably be more interested in climatize just because we can actually help there. Uh, as VCs, we're somewhat unique in that uh, we give out free advertising, free user acquisition to the companies that we work with. Uh, and uh, uh, that plays more into uh, climatize uh, as opposed to we do solar. Uh, in my view, uh, because it's, uh, as far as I could tell, like a more mass market solution, and they can also tie into um, the uh, 230 odd corporates that we that we we partner with. Um, and so uh, the, the the questions there are, again, you know, we already asked them, but uh, is this like a, a feature? Uh, and then, um, you know, what is the uh, uh, cost of acquisition. How long can you keep people for? Um, and uh, so that that those will will you know would have to dig in deeper. Um, but I really appreciate uh, the two pitches that I did get to see. Uh, and uh, you know, thanks for for having me, Matt. Absolutely, it was great. It was great to have you on. Thanks for the feedback, Will or William, and now uh, Pippa Europe. Europe. You want to share your thoughts? I'm on mute. Um, so, so we we are probably a little um, unique as well in that we we invest at early stage and only in hardware. So I have a bit of a bias towards people who are working on kind of of, of hardware solutions because we we think that's where the majority of the impact will lie. Um, having said that, you know I think the main role that software um, and you know the kind of digital side of climate tech where that can be really impactful is in um, uncovering. Uh, risk, you know, giving transparency to the markets and enabling more efficient allocation of capital. So I think, you know, solutions like Climatize are really interesting with that, that lens that it's helping people who might not otherwise know that they can put small amounts of money easily into climate solutions and let, letting them make that choice. Um, so kind of going on to the more hardware ones, um, I, with the, the, the diapers, you probably gathered, I had concerns around the, the cost of that. Um, I think I'm not sure about the efficiency of, of processing the diapers in a decentralized way, but I um, do love that you're trying to make it easier to have cloth diapers because it is, it is so hard to, to make that work. Um, so the uh, We Do Solar, again, love the idea of um, enabling people to have solar on uh, you know whatever bit of uh, real estate they've got access to. Um, and I think that could be very effective in, in countries with um, sun and balconies, um, but that I think that might limit the, the market as well. Um, the uh, the insect repellents, like I said, I I, I think um uh, I think there are already quite a few alternatives. So I think uh I'm, I think they're going to have a bit of a difficult time selling a premium product in that market. Um, so I think the 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 place that the the crown I would place on the the is on the electric fish um idea because I think it's um really providing a solid uh, impact um and enabling like lowering the cost of EV charging and enabling decentralized um, grid balancing, which I think is um, a really interesting space as well. So I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, that's why I put my, my, my mythical money. 
even more interesting because governments, at least in the U.S., are incredibly inefficient when it comes to rolling out infrastructure. So if we can roll it out in other ways, I see major advantages there. I also like very much liked electric fish. They're a bit beyond what we look at in terms of kind of scope and um, uh, just um, cap in terms of the company's a little too far for us at Forward VC. But I loved what Vince was doing. I also I would probably say that. My uh, my runner up would be climatized because I I agree I see massive potential in even just getting consumers thinking about um, clean energy and climate change and having that become something that can be the kind of cool and hot thing especially adding in socialized features of look who's doing a better job saving the environment than your friends kind of deal if you can have a leaderboard there I love what Alan's doing as well with with Pika because as I said. Diapers are a dirty mess, and I would like to see that be cleaner, but I think they have a little bit of a ways to go to prove that consumers are willing to carry around the dirty diaper in the purse and then throw it in or in the backpack and then throw it in the in the solution. So I would say I would give Electric Fish um, the startup of the night nod and have Climatize would be my number two. What uh, thought, thoughts on that? Do we have some type of consensus? Yeah, I am. Um, well, obviously, happy to vote to vote on vote for that. Um, William, what do you think? Yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, then, everybody, I want to say thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Startup Tank. Congrats to Vince and Electric Fish. Incredible job on the presentation. Uh, I'll bring you back in if you want to say anything, and then we'll uh, sign things off, give everyone a chance to say where to find them, and I'll go grab some food. <laughs> I think we could all use some food, but thanks again for having me on for the judges' times. Um, really inspired by all the great presentations I hear tonight. So really uh, optimistic about our future for climate. Well said, short, sweet, and to the point. Somebody's hungry, that means. Pippa, uh, <laughs> Pippa do you want to tell people the best place to find you? Yeah, we're at zerocarbon.capital. Um, you can get in touch through the website. Um, we're also on Twitter um, at Zero Carbon Cap and on LinkedIn. Yeah. And William, SOSV. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so check out um, uh, SOSV.com. Uh, please do check out SOSVclimatetech.com uh, for our upcoming climate summit. Uh, and uh, you can find me, uh, William Balbean, on Twitter. Uh, thanks so much. And everyone, thanks for tuning in. If you're interested in Forward VC's early stage climate syndicate, it's four wards, the number four ward.vc to learn more about us and what we do. We invest in incredible early stage uh, climate companies like these. We've uh, got a pretty interesting deal we're doing now. I can't share more than mushrooms are, are our future in a lot of ways. Uh, and to learn more about us and what we do, forward.vc. The Startup Tank, if you want to go and apply, just visit thestartuptank.com. Pretty straightforward. Application forms there. We would love to have you subscribe and attend future sessions of the Startup Tank. You can find us on YouTube, all major podcasting platforms. If you just look in the description here, you'll see the links for that. And then I want to thank, again, our show sponsor, Leva. Leva is the best way to set up an SPV. It gets rid of the headache, gets rid of the paperwork, the lawyers. It lets you go fast, simple, easy, five minutes, set up an SPV. Anyone can do it. It's 1% of the race. It's the cheapest way to do it. And it allows you to, for ultra scalable solutions such as 
follow-on funding, um, secondaries, et cetera, all without bringing in lawyers, extra paperwork, extra fees. To check them out, forward.vc slash Leva for more details. And until next time, I'm your host, Matt Ward, signing off. You can find us at the Startup Tank. You can find us on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter if you want to get all the latest and updates and invites to upcoming Startup Tank events. And until next time, cheers, folks. We're on a, we got a climate emergency. I've got a tummy emergency and let's all go, uh, let's all go have a great one. Cheers. <laughs>